That's enough of a plug for me. But today, we're going to continue in our study of the book of Philippians. Um, last time we got through um, about two-thirds of the way through uh, Philippians chapter 2. So we're going to um, start in Philippians chapter 2.19 today. And we will see how far we get in these next two services. Um, I'm hoping to finish the book, but that might be a little overambitious. We'll see what God has in store and try not to get ahead of him. I just wanted to mention one thing before I begin as by way of introduction. There was a question posed by one of my friends on Facebook um, this, this week, and it, said, it went like this. Is it possible to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? And her response was, I hope so. I want to submit to you today that throughout the book of Philippians, one thing we see is that in order to be earthly good, you must be heavenly minded. We cannot go too far one way or the other because God didn't take us out of the world. He left us here. So he has purposes, some of which are explicitly spelled out in Scripture, other of which in a more individual basis we must find out on our own with the Lord's help. So he's not, by talking about heavenly principles, he's not discounting what goes on here on the earth. And I just wanted to make that statement right out of the gate this morning. So if you have your Bibles turned with me to Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 19, the first point we're going to talk about is con- commendation of co-workers. Commendation of co-workers. Now, as we saw in last time we were together, we talked about how we needed to have an attitude like that of Jesus Christ, who, who even though he was in the form of man, um, he came down, or even though he was, he was God, he came down, put on flesh, became a man, walked among us, and died and rose again on our behalf. And he was put out as an example of how we should walk. And that's a great example, it's the greatest example, and we should all follow that. However, it can sometimes be a little annoying at points because we realize that Jesus is perfect and try as we might, this side of glory, we're we're not going to be perfect. One One of my dear brothers, friends at Grace and Truth, where I attend, who, by the way, they send their greetings, um, he says something about um, when you become a Christian, you become new, but you're still you. And I remember one time he was referring to baptism. He said the only way to guarantee sinless perfection after baptism is to make sure that you're held down for at least seven or eight minutes, and then you'll pass on to glory. And you will have sinless perfection in glory with Jesus. So, but I don't think that's a practical reality or anything that we should pursue on our own. 
So where does that leave us? It leaves us on earth. So what Paul realized is these people needed earthly examples of people who are living for Christ. And he brings up a couple here. He says in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ's. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord also myself, that I shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion and laborer and fellow soldier, but your messenger, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. And this shows us two examples of men who were godly, who were living the Christian life in the Holy Spirit as human beings. So it kind of brings it down a little bit more to our level, to the point where we can see this person's not perfect, but they are sanctified. And they're showing their sanctification by the way they live their life. And there's high praise in these verses. Paul says of Timothy, I have no man like-minded who will also care for your state. Perhaps that, you know, and so this is what he's saying is, I believe in Timothy and I know that he will take care of you and so I'm sending him to you as soon as he's done doing what he needs to do for me and I hope to come to you shortly. But remember in Philippians chapter 1 when we studied previously, he said this, he said, let your conduct be such that whether I visit you or I'm absent, I hear of your faith and can rejoice. I know that's the Andrew Gomez and paraphrase, but that's the essential um, crux of that verse is I want to hear good things of you, whether I can be there or not. And so we see in the life of Timothy, this is someone that Paul says is like-minded and he will care for your state. And then we, we hear about Epaphroditus. Now I think Epaphroditus, from these verses, is an amazing person that Paul would say these things about. Unfortunately, it's never climbed the charts for the baby name book, um, and I probably wouldn't be able to get away with naming a future son Epaphroditus, but I really think that there's a lot here that we can learn from. And it talks about him being sick unto death because of the work of Christ. 
How many of us are willing to work tirelessly for the work of Christ? Um, it's a really convicting for me to read that. I, I want that to be my testimony. That I would work unto death for Christ. And I just, I think it's very uh, interesting. Paul says, God saved him. Not just so that you could rejoice, or that he could rejoice that he was saved, but that Paul could rejoice. And I think this is significant too, because God gave at certain times, God gave Paul the gift to be able to heal people. He went to the island of Malta in Acts and he raised up a, a leader there from his sickbed and he healed him through the power of Jesus Christ. There were times and other times in the book of Acts when he healed people through the power of Jesus Christ. And some people who don't understand the Spirit of God might say, well, if Paul had this great power to heal, then why didn't he just heal Epaphroditus? And the answer is, Paul had no power to heal, but the Holy Spirit granted that power when he saw fit. And so God used Paul as a vessel, but Paul did not have the power in and of himself. And he just talks about here how Epaphroditus um, was providing for him in ways that the Philippians were unable to. And he put others first. And I think from these two gentlemen, Timothy and Epaphroditus, we can learn a lot about having the proper attitude towards the things of Christ. And I wonder if someone could look up 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 15 um, by way of exploring this idea a little bit more. That's one thing I want to mention too is for those of you who know me know this but I have cross references for my points and I like to have others read them because it helps to keep you engaged. So I hope that your sword drill finger is limber and that you are prepared for that. Does somebody have 2 Timothy 3.10 to 15? Okay, so this is another 
passage where we where we see Paul extol the faithfulness of Timothy um, and talk about the things that Timothy learned and to be faithful to share them. And you notice in this passage, he says, I have no man like-minded other than Timothy. And there's another passage in Timothy that says, or that says, commit, he's talking to Timothy and he says, commit the things that you know unto faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's an extreme rash right now of unbiblical teaching going forth in the name of Christ. And why is that? It's because we, we have neglected to raise up faithful men who will be able to teach other, others also. If you read the book of Judges, you know that it only takes one generation for a people to fully forget God. And I know that whether I'm martyred or whether I pass away from this earth or whether I am raptured, the time will come in fairly short order, at least um, in, in the context of this life as a vapor, when I will no longer be here. And I, I want to be as faithful as I can to the Word of God. But I need to make sure, you need to make sure, that you're equipping the next generation to be faithful because you won't always be there. May it never be said of us that a generation rose up who did not know God nor the works which He had done among His people. I, I am so convicted about this. One of, my, one of my burning passions, one of the burning passions of my ministry is to see families who embrace the Bible, who live the Bible, and who teach the Bible to their children. You know, there's nothing wrong with outreach. It's great, but I think that if we get our inreach right, the outreach will be a natural outgrowth. Instead of sometimes being this attitude where we tend to try to twist people's arms to get them to receive the gospel. So I implore those of you who have children to be grounded in the word and to pass it on to them. And for those of you who aspire to have children in the future, be grounded in the word right now. Spend time in the word. Saturate yourself with the word. Get to the point where everything that comes out of your mouth is an answer from Scripture. I'm not there yet. But I can tell you one thing. It's very gratifying to have someone ridicule me for preaching to them and sit back and think about it and realize that I haven't knowingly preached to them to the best of my knowledge. But the Bible says that if we abide in Him, and His words abide in us, we will ask what we will, and it will be done. Abiding in Christ causes natural things to happen. I think sometimes we, we get away from the organic nature of the Gospel. And we start to say, well, we have to manufacture this. We have to have special meetings, and we have to bus people in from everywhere. I'm not criticizing that. Please don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is that if we have a life that's abiding in Christ and 
He can't help but spill out of our pores. Then things are going to happen. And that's what, that's what Paul was encouraging from Timothy and from these Philippians. And so, now we go into chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read the first few verses here. This next point is the foolishness of trusting self. You know, that, that's another thing that we do today. And that's, I think, the root of some of this false teaching is a teacher will get a hearing and people will start to like what he says and they'll say, you're great. Even if they don't say the words, they have that attitude that he's great and he can do no wrong. And you know, if you hear a lie enough, it becomes the truth to you. And you start to believe it. And without naming names, I can think of a couple different prominent preachers who I believe have this problem in a major way. And I pray that the Lord will deal with them effectively. But here's what Paul says about trusting yourself. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath, whereof he might trust the flesh, then I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul goes into this thing, he says, don't trust yourself. He says, I used to be there. I used to trust myself. I mean, and as far as his understanding was of the scriptures at that point when he was blind and when he was in the study of the, of the Jews, and one of the challenges for Jews to come to Christ is that they believe the scripture. They believe the Old Testament scripture. They just don't understand how it ties in with our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Satan has deceived many of them. And some of them are still looking for the promise of the coming Messiah, even though he came over 2,000 years ago. But he didn't come in the form that a lot of them thought he would. I often like to think about Judas Iscariot and think about what might have been going through his mind. And I think maybe one of his problems was that he thought that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom you know, there was times when they were going to take Jesus and make him their king, and he, he got off by himself and left them. Because his kingdom was not of the world. It was a heavenly kingdom with far more importance than any earthly kingdom. And Paul is saying, as far as I knew to do, I followed the righteousness of the law. I was in the trial of Benjamin. I was, he was basically in the Sanhedrin. He was a ruler. But with all that that he had going for him, 
he still was wrong. You know, some people will say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. There is nobody more sincere than, me, than, than Saul of Tarsus. You know, I often tell people it doesn't matter how sincere you are because you can be sincerely wrong. We're getting to the point in our society when we don't want to tell people that they're sincerely wrong. We want to try to say that we can coexist. We want to try to be nice about the issues. And yes, we should love one another. But I've had many loving interactions where I've tried to be loving to people. And they still say that I'm a hater. Why? Because I embrace the truth of Scripture that never changes that never has changed, and that never will change. The God who created the earth is the God who sent His Son to die on Calvary for you and me. And the only reason that the Creator of the universe would hang suspended between heaven and earth is because we ourselves could not do enough to be saved. So anyone who says, well, the crucifixion was nothing more than a general show of love has no idea of the powers that were at work that day. And Paul is basically saying, I had everything going for me, but it didn't mean anything. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Read a little bit more about Saul of Tarsus. Whoever has it can feel free to read it. Sometimes, I know for me, I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, because I see the, the Paul that came into fruition after Acts chapter 8, or after Acts chapter 9, and the road to Damascus, and I read his epistles and I get all excited about his godly zeal, I forget about the Saul in Acts chapter 8. And I know that God forgives, but it must have been on Paul's mind repeatedly all the things that he did before he was saved. But praise be to God that God wipes that away. Then Paul goes in, after talking about the foolishness of trusting oneself, he talks about the fruit of trusting Christ. The fruit of trusting Christ, and this is Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. But what things were gained to me, remember we just talked about all those things, being a Pharisee, being of the tribe of Benjamin, being circumcised the eighth day. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. 
Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable to his death, if by any means I may attend to the resurrection of the dead. And in this Paul, in this this passage, we we see Paul was Paul was righteous in his in his mind and in his way of thinking. He was righteous on that road to Damascus. He was going to Damascus to carry out the will of God. That's why he was going there. That's why terrorists fly planes into our buildings because they're doing the will of God as they understand it. But when Paul was on that road to Damascus, the true God met him and knocked him off his high horse, literally, and showed him that a 180 was necessary. And you you know, the exciting thing is that you can see, sometimes you can see gifts in unbelievers before they come to Christ. You don't know exactly how they would look if sanctified by the Spirit. But with Paul, we get a great opportunity because with the same zeal with which he persecuted the church, he then turned around. And as soon as Ananias had come to him and given him back his sight, he went into the synagogues and he preached Christ. And he went to the church that was in Acts and he tried to tell them how he changed and they wouldn't believe him. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, And it's interesting that Paul would later become one of the greatest encouragers in Scripture. I think he might have learned a little bit from Barnabas. Although we know that he had a desert experience with the Lord, which we cannot even fathom. But I think Barnabas was a huge encouragement to him. And Barnabas says, no, this man has changed. God changed him, and I can testify to it. And so Paul over the course of time, becomes one of the greatest evangelists of the early church, traveling from church to church, preaching the very message that he spoke against, and doing so with such a zeal, despite being persecuted, despite being beaten, he was still willing to do this. The very people, it's possible that the very people who led him into into Jerusalem after he was blind were some of the same people that persecuted him later. I just can't, I can't imagine going through that, having that place of prominence and giving it up for Christ. But it's another picture of what Christ himself did. 
because no one has a higher place of prominence in this game of eternity than Jesus Christ himself. Can we look really quickly at John chapter 17, verse 3? Just another uh, passage talking about what eternity or what knowledge of Christ is about. John 17, verse 3. Okay, so we're again talking about knowing that eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. You know, I think sometimes when we have the sinner's prayer, I don't want to totally blast it, but this is another one of these things that is heavy on my heart. The fact that we encourage people to say the sinner's prayer. And sadly, many of them say words without realizing their meaning and they think they're on their way to heaven because they said some words in the meeting but Paul says here that eternal life is knowing him and partaking in his sufferings it's not about the words we say it's about knowing him and I'm convicted that there are many people that are headed to hell that think they're saved because one day they repeated the words of someone. Am I going to say that it never is the way it happens? No, if it happened for you, praise be to God. But I think we need to be careful about the way we use things like that. Remember when Peter was speaking in Acts, he, he preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And he didn't give an altar call. He didn't say, who wants to receive Christ? No, he didn't. But it was so powerful. The Spirit was working in him so powerfully that what did they say? They said, what must we do to be saved? Because they were cut to the heart. But it wasn't by Peter. It was by the Spirit of God. And if God allows you to preach a message that cuts people to the heart and brings them to a knowledge of wanting to know the Savior, then that's great. But if all we're doing when we preach the gospel is trying to get numbers on a board, we're missing the point. We're missing the point. It's better to be in a small church of committed believers than in a big church of five or 6,000 people who are there because they hear what they want to hear and have their sins justified week after week. There's just too much of that going on. There's a a great separation of the the wheat and the chaff, I think that's that's happening right now. Because these false teachers are raising concerns 
And it's up to us as men and women of God to stand up and say we will continue to preach the truth, we will continue to believe the truth, and we will continue to live the truth. It's up to us through his power. And uh, I'm sorry, I I get worked up sometimes. So, (laughs) but... Let me see here. Um, And uh, Paul was talking about um, all the stuff he gave up for for Christ. And uh, the next... The next thing we're going to talk about is the focus that's required to follow Christ. And that and we're in uh, Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 to 16. It says, "Not as though I have already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus." Brethren, I do not count myself to be apprehended, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything you are otherwise minded, God shall reveal even that to you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk with the same rule, let us mind the same thing. And Paul, Paul, I really appreciate Paul because he's so honest. He says, I haven't figured it all out, but I'm responsible for what I do know, for what I have figured out. You know, one of the favorite, past, one of the favorite questions that I get when I go into the jail, is what about the people that have never heard the gospel? What is God going to do with them? And I always say, I'm not 100% on that, but I can tell you with 100% certainty that you will be responsible for what you know. And that God will look back And it's very possible that he will show you this date in your history and say the gospel was presented to you. Why did you not accept it? And there's also the factor of even after we become Christians, we make mistakes. We fall. The Bible even says the righteous man falls seven times and yet gets up again. And so the tendency, what the devil wants us to do is to linger in the past and to dwell there. And what Paul is saying here, I need to forget what's behind. I can't go back and change history, but I can change the future. You can't take back any of the days that you've already lived, but you can live the days that you have to live 
with the knowledge and the truth that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you. And you can do better day after day because God is working in you. And you can know that if you make a mistake that you have an advocate with Jesus Christ, the righteous. Can we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8? So Paul is saying that he finished his course, that he fought the good fight, and that there's a crown of life waiting for him. But he doesn't stop with him. That's another thing. Paul Paul is not selfish. Paul is not saying this is for me because of all the great things I've done. But he said, if you with me love his appearing, you will receive the same reward. As a matter of fact, Paul cared so deeply for the children of Israel that he said, if Israel could be saved by my being cursed, then I would do it. I don't know if I, at this point in my life, have that outlook on a human level. I read it in the Bible and I say that's right. But I do know this. That the same God who redeemed me, who took a bitter, angry young man and made him into a, to a servant of his who he could use. The same God who did that can take you and do amazing things with you if you will trust him. He specializes in using the useless. And I'm I'm thankful for that because if he didn't, I would be among the first out, at least as far as the world is concerned. But I I'm not of the world. I'm a I have an eternal home that is far above the world. And in God's economy, I can be used mightily, but only so far as I trust Him. If I start to, to get off on my own, then bad things happen. But if I stay abiding in Him, then He will do amazing things. And even sometimes He'll continue to do amazing things. I know I 
sent you guys a letter after your recent ministry gift, and I thank you for it. But in a moment of candor, let me just say that I had spent the majority of the day before I received that gift complaining to God that I didn't have the funds or the resources that I needed to carry on. I didn't have a good attitude. And when I got that check, it sent me back to my knees. Praising the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, even though we don't deserve it. And even though we complain. I'm thankful that He knows my frame. And that He remembers that I'm dust. And that He loves me anyway. And I can say with absolute certainty that the same is true for each one of you. That He loves you. In spite of what you've done. Because He made you. And then He not only made you, but He died and rose again for your redemption. And the gift is there if you'll reach out and take it. And I would encourage you to do so. May the Lord add His blessing to the study of His Word. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the rich truths of your word. Lord, we thank you for this book of Philippians and for this wonderful godly man named Paul. We thank you for the 180 that you did in his life. That you turned around a murderer and a persecutor and you made him a lover and encourager. And that you took out his heart of stone and put in its place a heart of flesh. And we'll, we'll read more about his sensitivity and tenderness tonight toward the Philippians. We pray that you would guide us through our afternoon, that you be honored and glorified around our dinner tables, and that you bring those of us who can safely back here tonight to glean even more from your word. Thank you for giving me the privilege to preach it and help me to remain faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.